Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday and let's get into Season 5. Geraldine is a professional consultant and victim survivor of family violence. Geraldine was appointed as the Deputy Chair of the Victim Survivors Advisory Council in May 2020, and she sits across a number of consulting and advisory boards, including the Mornington Peninsula Primary Prevention Collaboration and White Ribbon National Advisory Council. On today's episode, Geraldine shares details on her wisdom in practice, a reverse mentoring program, and how lived experience and professionalism can coexist and partner together really well. Drawing on her own experiences and journey which led to abusive relationships, Geraldine shares her advice and words with all victim survivors listening. Thank you for sharing your story so honestly and vulnerably, uh, Geraldine, and welcome to the podcast. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Pebble in the Pond. I'm your host, Talitha Nat, and this morning I'm sat here with Geraldine Bilston at the Stop Domestic Violence Conference held on the Gold Coast. Good morning and welcome, Geraldine. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. What's your nickname, by the way? Well, people call me all kinds of things. But it's usually Jez. Can I call you G? Yeah, let's do that. I love that. You know what my nickname is? T. Oh, G and T. Amazing. I'll tell you what, it's been so nice to meet you in person, face to face. For our listeners, G, or Geraldine, as she is formerly known as, is a member of our Stop Domestic Violence Committee. and. The committee members are an an, an integral part of helping us shape the conference and particularly coming up with suggestions for themes and topics and, of course, reviewing the abstract. So whilst we've had lots of communication on Teams and online this year, this is the first time I've actually met you in person, so it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's so lovely to be here in person and seeing Mm. people in 3D. Yeah, I know, right? Yes. (laughs) So I'm going to jump straight into, I guess, your work because I'd love to know more about what you do at Family. Family Safety Victoria, perhaps talk about the context about what they do and your role and how you got into work within Family Victoria. Yeah, no worries. Yes, so I am working with Family Safety Victoria in a as a public. I am attending the conference in my individual capacity, and I guess yeah, my relationship with Family Safety Victoria has, even though I've only been working there since the beginning of this year. I have had a connection to the Victorian government for quite some time and that was because I spent two and a half years on the Victim Survivors Advisory Council. So that's a council made up of people with lived experience of family violence and that council was set up after the Royal Commission into Family Violence in Victoria and it's the the council advises ministers and government agencies 
and really helps guide the reform in Victoria, the family violence reform in Victoria. So I think that's a really exciting initiative and it was certainly really amazing to be part of that group and have exposure to the reforms in Victoria and have opportunities to to really bring that that lens of lived experience and centre the reforms, really, really sort of ground those reforms in in the lived experience of victim survivors. And for those listeners who may not be too aware or not across where that currently sits today, could you tell us a bit about where the reform is at? Yeah, so in Victoria in 2015, Victoria and and certainly the whole of Australia witnessed an act of family violence being Luke Batty's father murdering him and the response from Rosie really forced the entire country to look at family violence really dead in the eye and and in a way that that maybe we hadn't done before. Rosie's advocacy really pushed for some political will and 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 desire for change and and following that we had a royal commission into family violence in Victoria. Since that time 227 recommendations were handed down and accepted in Victoria and we've been on a journey to seeing those implemented and and acquitted and I think yeah, it's been a really exciting time to see that sort of level of investment and commitment from the government. Yeah, and just to see the change unfolding. I think we can be really proud of the work that we've done and the change that's been created in Victoria at the same time as holding space to say this is long-term work and there's still so much to do. And and that's really how I see it. I I can feel proud of, of what has been achieved at the same time as understanding that we have a long way to go. What would be some of the changes that you're seeing take place over the years? Yeah, so, I mean, there's been so many changes, but I think that historically we really viewed family violence as a private problem and one that we didn't talk about. And I think the work of of many different people but especially the work of survivor advocates have really disrupted that they've their their sharing of their stories has really sort of disrupted social norms and and forced people to to think about and acknowledge the prevalence of family violence and the impacts of family violence and i think it, those those people those survivor advocates have also created space for people to say me too. And so we're still seeing this increase in social awareness and an increase in people being able to self-identify and say, have a name, have a language for what they've been through and say, yes, I am a victim survivor or yes, I have been experiencing family violence, which I, which I think is incredible. In Victoria, I think we've seen in particular, a huge commitment in funding and that's been really important. We can't do this work and we can't see this this work be effective without political will, without political leadership and without a properly funded service response and that's from prevention right through to, to healing and recovery and, yeah, so... That's amazing. I mean, I guess change takes a long time Mm. to transpire, but every small step in the right direction, I feel, over a course of time is heading in the right direction. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's something I always really grapple with in this space. On one hand, I feel like 
frustrated because we're not doing enough quickly enough and I feel such a huge sense of urgency, particularly when we're still seeing across Australia a woman being murdered by a current or former partner around every 10 days and and as soon as that hits the media, I, I feel, yeah, like this incredible sense of urgency and yet at the same time I feel accepting of the fact that change is incremental mm. and how to, f- I, I guess, particularly for workers in the family violence space, we have to find ways to also feel proud and feel a sense of pride in the fact that we are making change and that things are getting better. But that, but it's a really hard thing to hold on to and I guess there are many truths and both of those things are true. We are not doing enough quickly enough. There is a huge sense of urgency. And then on the other hand, we've made really good steps forward. Mm. I'm proud of what we've done. Mm, absolutely. 2022 saw you launch Wisdom in Practice, a reverse mentoring program which has been rolled out in Victoria. Can you tell us more about that and what it entails? Yeah, so it's really exciting. I I had had this idea around reverse mentoring and having victim survivors mentor family violence practitioners and and it was picked up in a couple of locations this year and piloted in those in those regions. So we had 15 victim survivors who were partnered with a graduate family violence practitioner or one of their supervisors and they walked through a journey together across the year, a guided reverse mentoring program where they walked through a number of topics including listening, empathy and respect, resilience and self-determination and, and some others and what we saw happen in during that program was there was a real flip in power dynamics So I think usually we see practitioners and their clients having a certain level of power power, and we've really flipped that and seen survivors really positioned and empowered to lead and to guide professionals. And I think that's really powerful that it's really disrupting historic historical hierarchies of knowledge and saying there are many different ways of knowing and that lived expertise has something to offer that graduates may not have learnt in university. Well, I think it makes me reflect on like, you know, you can sit down and do all the study with a textbook. Yes. But which obviously has its benefit, but Mm. you could also learn a great deal from conversations and having those conversations with people who can share experiences yes. and can share insights based on their experiences. Yes. If you can combine the two, then you have a, well, you would hope, you have a really even level playing field mm. perspective yes. on whatever the situation might be. Yes, and I love the way you've talked about that because I think sometimes we see that lived experience and professionalism is positioned in a, in a type of way where they exist in opposition to each other and that's not the case that I think when we create the most powerful outcomes when we see professionalism and lived experience partnered together mm and working alongside each other and the reality is we we to create services and systemic responses that meet the needs of the people that use them that relies on on having 
people with lived experience involved in the work. Mm, and, yep. and that really excites me. Absolutely. I'd like to know a bit more about Geraldine mm. and the woman behind the title <laughs> and the woman behind, I guess, the work that you do. Of course, we're much yes. more than just our professional identities. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about where you grew up and what your childhood was like yeah. in your early adulthood? Yeah, yes. I I grew up in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne and I really had a beautiful upbringing and I think that's really important because as a victim survivor, people might have some sort of perception of, of me having a tough childhood and that type of thing. That certainly wasn't the case for me. My parents are still together today and they really love each other. And I had a really healthy role model in my father as well as my mother. I'm one of five kids. Oh, wow. And I family is really important to me. I love my brothers and my sister. I Post high school, I went on a very strange adventure and landed in the mining industry. Did you now? Which feels like a whole other lifetime ago now. I was on a mission to drive a big truck. Very strange time. Did you? <laughs> I got my HR licence but I ended up somehow in, in training on site in, in remote mine sites in, in WA. So that was quite a, quite a strange time. And I guess it was there that I was immersed in a culture that was disrespectful towards women and didn't value women in the way that we should. And I think that that really started to permeate who, who I who I was and the way that I even valued myself. And, I, and it, that probably facilitated me falling into an unhealthy relationship and, and an abusive relationship, in fact. And yeah, so I guess that's 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 my history. I, I also obviously have a, a history of intimate partner violence attached to that, and and that was, you know, that experience spanned across half a decade in my life. And you know, I guess when I've talked about that in the past, I've said that that relationship really changed the trajectory of my life, and and I still feel the impacts of that today, and. And while I think it's really important that we spend time acknowledging and understanding the long-term impacts of domestic abuse, and, and certainly I've spent time in my advocacy in other spaces talking about the fact that I cannot be who I used to be, I also today feel like I'm on a really strong healing journey and that I think one of the things that I want people to know today about me is that I know because it's real for me that healing and recovery is impossible and I feel like even though I can't be who I used to be or who I was supposed to be life's good mm. and I feel happy and I feel like I'm coming into oh and who and who I'm supposed to be and doing this work is part of that because it energizes me. It makes helps me make sense of what I've been through. It gives me a purpose and that makes me excited for the future. It's really beautiful to hear. I think it's really courageous of you to have that attitude despite being through mm. a very traumatic period from what it sounds like. For our listeners, I mean, I don't know the stats around domestic family or abuse in other situations. Mm. I'm, I'm sure the statistics 
are rather frightful. So that would mean that potentially someone out there listening might know mm. someone who's going through a similar circumstance to what you went through. Yes. If you could tell someone or reach out and give them some help or advice, mm. I guess leaning on your own experience, what piece of advice would you give them? Mm. I guess to victim survivors who, who, who may be listening, what my message for them would be that it's not your fault and any type of guilt or shame or anything attached, any of those dark feelings that are attached to this experience, they do not belong to you. They belong at the feet of your perpetrator and there are many of us wanting to support you to to push those feelings back on onto your perpetrator. I would also really encourage anyone listening that that, that may be experiencing family violence or domestic abuse to reach out to a specialist family violence service, talk through what's going on and, and explore your options. I also want to talk to people who are listening who have somebody in their life that they care about that they think may be experiencing these things and I want to share a story. So when I was experiencing family violence, I just had my daughter and I was in hospital and it was a hospital staff worker came to visit. She had witnessed a few things going on and and witnessed some behaviour from my partner at the time and when he was not around, she came back to visit me when I was on my own and she asked me, are you safe at home? And it was the first person and and really the only person to directly ask me that. And even though I responded and said, yes, yes, I'm fine. And, And so she never got to see the impact of asking that question, but that her asking me that stayed with me. It validated what I was going through and it planted a seed for me to say, other people can see what's going on. It's not okay. They're recognising it. And, and yeah, it had a big impact on me. I still remember it today. And so I would really encourage people to explore safe and careful and considered ways to reach out to the people that they care about, that they're worried about. Do you feel the hesitation perhaps around approaching a loved one or mm. your best friend or mm. your sister, for example, or otherwise about their concerns or their Mm. suspicions or their gut feel. We Mm. all have that gut feel, that inner knowing that something's off. Yeah. But then I think our heads get in the way and we talk ourselves out of confronting Mm. whatever the situation is. Now, do you feel that might have something to do with the lack of awareness or education around how do you Mm. have this conversation with someone? How do you have a conversation with someone that you would like to express your Mm. concern Mm. but in a safe and nurturing manner. Yeah, I do. I 100% think that. And I think it's some of that is attached to a broader community problem where we we do still have shame attached to family violence as a topic of Mm. conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to keep interrogating that and keep talking about it like we are today openly so that it is easier to have these conversations for people on you know, in that situation right now, I would really encourage them to reach out and look look at resourcing around how to have those conversations safely and and how to manage responses and how to do how to respond in a in a supportive, trauma informed, domestic violence informed 
way mm. and, and those resources exist. In particular, I would point people to the Are You Safe at Home website, which, mm. which has some guidance around how to have those conversations. So let's talk about, I guess, this year, as we all look towards 2023, it's a really lovely time to reflect on the year that has been and mm. what's coming up. So what has been one of your highlights for this year and mm. what are you looking forward to the most for next year? Oh, such a great question. I think, I mean, <laughs> not, yeah, this is going to sound cheesy, but being here this week is a real highlight for me. I loved spending the days this week connecting with people in real life, hearing really powerful discussions and people speak. Certainly being on stage yesterday with Amaret, my mentee from the Wisdom in Practice program and sharing publicly with everyone our learnings from that was such a powerful moment, I think, for Amaret and I, for both of us. So that's that's been amazing. What am I looking forward to most next year? I'm really looking forward to doing some great dedicated professional work and I think that's that's really energizing me at the moment having a place in this space as a professional and kind of moving away from being seen as a survivor advocate to being seen as a professional with lived experience is an exciting time in my career but also in my life and being accepted by the sector and by government as a professional is restorative for me and it's healing for me and doing work that I care of just makes me really happy. Yeah, good on you. Final question for you. I see that you completed your Masters of Politics and Policy at Deakin University this I'm, year. I haven't finished it. Okay, I still start, going? I started it. <laughs> just okay. started it. Well, there goes that question. Actually, no, you know what? We can still work with this. Okay. I was curious to know, I guess, you know, where mm. uh, where's your journey taking you now that you're yeah. doing some study, you're really leveraging yes. your experience in policy and advocacy and most importantly your lived experience. So yes. what's the plan for Geraldine, a.k.a. G? Yeah, yeah. And I did, I completed my graduate certificate of family violence last year. So, you're, yeah, I have been on an, a higher education journey as well. I think where, where things are tracking for me at the moment is, you know, I was, I went through the system as a victim survivor, as a client. Then I walked through being seen as a survivor advocate, sharing my story publicly. And now I am moving into a space where I'm doing professional work in the family violence space. And I think where I'm coming to at the moment is that I am proving to, to other people but also to myself that I am more than just my story, that I have motivations and, and capabilities to do more than just recounting the worst moments of my life, that I have value to bring to this space beyond that and I and that's exciting for me. And I and I think also it's signaling to other people that that survivors deserve pathways into this work and that we have really important things to bring to this work and that energises me for, for myself and for my own life but for other people as well. You're amazing. You've been a pleasure to have a chat with and I think it's so refreshing to be able to sit with you and listen to you speak so openly mm. and I think the underlying current that I've noticed with yourself is that 
you're very focused on making a positive impact mm. wherever you go and whatever you do. And mm. I can see obviously big things will be coming your way oh, next you. year. So I wish you all the best with that. And thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, G. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.